Welcome to the King's Chapel, Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. We are going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Let's put that up there, and we'll read that tonight. Praise the Lord. We're talking about being overcomers. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love and endurance and gentleness. The word we're looking for there is the word purge. In order to be an overcomer, and how many of you want to do that? How many of you don't want to be overcome? You don't want to be a statistic or a victim. You want to be able to say nothing of my flesh or of the world or of the devil is conquering me. Praise God. Jesus said some very powerful words. He says, the, de- the devil comes to me and finds nothing. That's powerful. The devil comes to me and finds nothing. We see when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by the devil, he uses his classic temptations on Jesus, and Jesus answers him with the Bible. He quotes him scripture. And so we know that Jesus had the perfect memory and he had the word of God in his mind, but he also was the word of God. So Jesus uses the word of God like a sword and like a weapon. It's a very powerful thing. We have already given you three things or three secrets and three uh, secrets to overcoming before. We did that on Sunday. And so now we're going to finish it up with these last things. And this one is purging and it's uh, our pursuit. I'm sorry. It's very powerful. Pursuit. Say that word out loud. So think of it like this. Pursuit is the key to your destiny. Whatever you're pursuing becomes your destiny. So whatever it is you're chasing, everybody's chasing something right now. Whatever you chase from your insides to your thought life to your choices with your money, whatever it is you chase, that ends up being your destiny. And so you've got to be very careful that you're not pursuing things that don't fall into the category of the legal things to chase. Praise God. Whatever you're going to chase is going to catch you. Whatever you're going to chase is going to catch you. It'll eventually dominate you, and it'll eventually control you. That's why you have to be very careful not to let your mind run wild in directions that you know are not blessed of the Lord. When you're laying in bed, you had better get control of your thoughts. You had better fight your mind and do whatever you've got to do to change that. My wife, for example, who's not here tonight because we're leaving tonight at 1.30 in the morning, and so uh, she's packing. But anyway, um, my wife went through a period in her life where she could not sleep. She would get anxiety attacks. And because I sleep with her, I saw this happen. I saw her overcome it completely. She would put on uh, the Bible. 
at a low enough tone where you really can't hear what they're saying and you have to strain, and she would knock out. No drugs, just knock out. And she did this night after night after night after night after night, and now, literally, I have counted within three seconds of saying goodnight, she is gone <laughs> and does not move from that position until morning. It is a miracle because I would have to be praying for her. She'd say, oh, gosh, I don't know. She, I mean, she literally have anxiety attacks about ridiculous things. And I'd pray and pray, but I saw her walk it through, fight, pull down the thoughts, tear down the thoughts, bring them in submission to the Word of God, use the Word of God, refuse to take any medication or anything like that. Just know I'm not going to do that. That's not what God wants me to do. I'm going to fight this. And I mean, it was like months and until finally, bam, like a little child, she just, hmm? hey, she's gone. Praise the Lord. And I try to give her a massage, you know, at night. And I said, I, as soon as I, t I touch her, she's like, hmm. If you pursue it, it will catch you. Say it out loud. Say it out loud. If you're going to overcome, you can't pursue revenge. You can't pursue getting even with people. You can't pursue uh, becoming a hard drinker to the point where you drink so much that it doesn't affect you. It doesn't actually exist. You, what you pursue will catch you. So start chasing the things that heal you, not the things that make you sick. Start chasing the things that give you strength as a man and woman of God. Start chasing things that you feel, you know, that gives me peace. If I watch that movie, I get scared. I get tormented. I, I, I have nightmares. But if I watch these black and white movies, <laughs> these cartoons, these documentaries, these baking shows, I feel good inside. But if I watch this raping and murdering and screaming and yelling, as much as it may ignite the passions and appetites of your flesh, you're left with the guilt and shame and accusations and fear of Satan in the bed with you. We are Christians, my brothers and sisters and members of the jury. We are Christians. Christians live in the light. We are not given the, the, the right to dwell in dark lustful, twisted places. Praise the Lord. Would you look at two or three people and say, I think you and I need to start chasing the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Everybody praise him a little bit and say, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Just praise Jesus a little bit. Praise God. Praise God. Come on. 
Praise him a little bit. Praise God. Pray, pursue that, pursue that presence of God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Pursue that grateful attitude. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. What you pursue catches you. Praise God. So you need to pursue the word of God, the will of God. You need to pursue a clean and clear conscience. This will give you powers of overcoming. If you said something bad about a person and gossiped about them, remember what gossip is. Gossip is going to someone's grave where their sins are buried and forgotten by God and digging up the corpse and telling everybody about it. Gossip is taking dirt and throwing it at a person whose robes have been washed clean and who are standing there forgiven and clean and taking dirt of their past and throwing it back on their robe. You will be judged for that. Not by God, but by the law of sowing and reaping. Do not dig up 20 years ago problems, 30 years ago problems, 50 years ago problem. How can someone live if all their sins will forever be advertised? If God forgot them, you can't bring them back to people's memory. Praise God. Go ahead and look at someone, shake their hand, and say, you know, you're so much thinner than Sunday. Something special has happened to you where you're just glowing. You're glowing. There's a glow to you. You're, you're thin. Your clothes don't seem to fit. They're waving in the air. See, we're speaking by faith now. Come on, everybody. Just praise God. We're, we know how to talk. We know how to make it, put you know, activate miracles with language. Two, found in First Chronicles 16, 11, if you put that up there, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. This is prayer. Not all prayer is equal. There's prayer that works and prayer that doesn't work. So there are three basic types of prayer. You have petitional prayer, where you ask God for stuff. It's the number one prayer in heaven. The top 10 prayers are all the same. Gimme, 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 gimme. Those are the top 10 prayers in heaven from the world. Petitional prayer. Then you have intercessory prayer. So petitional prayer is asking things. Intercessory prayer is much more complicated, and it has at least nine realms of anointings in intercessory prayer because you have visions in intercessory prayer. You have prophetic utterances and declarations in prayer. You have warfare anointings in intercession. You have intimacy anointings. You have lots of different things which you have to go, this is not, I'm not preaching on that, but I'm just telling you, that's the second type of prayer. It's deeper than the first. Some people never get past asking for things. And intercessory prayer is mostly for other people. 
Petitional is for us, mostly. Intercessory is for other people. But Jesus teaches your spirit how to pray. Like you'll be praying in the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden see someone's face, your mother, mother-in-law, someone, and you start praying for them. Or you get a prophetic prayer and you start praying that over them, a prophetic thing. Many different things like that. And so then you have relational prayer. And that is where you go to God to find God, not to get something from God. It's intimacy prayer. It's very, very powerful. This type of prayer gives you supernatural powers to overcome because you meld with God. You're interwoven with God. You're weaved into the DNA of God. And God literally puts himself and imprints himself on your insides so that your DNA now changes from the DNA of your parents to the DNA of Jesus. Now your DNA has different tastes, desires, wants, appetites, urges, and impulses. They're the ones from Jesus. So now instead of wanting Bud Light, the DNA of Jesus doesn't drink. Jesus doesn't go around drinking whiskey, Bud Light, or anything. You may, and I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm just saying how this works. So he just changes your DNA, and all of a sudden, you don't have any desire to cuss anybody out because Jesus doesn't cuss people out. Your DNA from your dad or mom or grandparents, they do. Or whatever other issues you have. When Jesus touches you, the DNA changes. That's how you know you're praying right. Your DNA changes. One day you, want, you, you love smoking pot. And the next day, the last thing you will ever do again is smoke pot, even if it's legal. Even if everybody in your family smokes it and everybody had fun doing it and they're all smoking reefers and you're, I don't know, it turns my stomach now. I, I don't even know how to explain I was in prayer and I, I had an encounter with God and, and when I came out of it, I just didn't want to smoke anyway, any reefers anymore. This happened to me at 17 because I was an avid third degree black belt in cussing. Do I have any brothers and sisters of my rank? I found it to be almost like music, cussing. I find it to be musical. The right cuss word, put it the right spot, gets the message across really well. Praise the Lord. So when I got saved, I didn't know that you couldn't cuss because I got saved and I hadn't even been to church yet. And so I still cussed. I said, I read the Bible, blankety, blank, blank. What a mother blankety. Woo, man, there's stuff in there. You sons of a mother. I mean, man, that Bible is a lie. See what I'm saying? Some of you would be more comfortable, honestly, I believe, in a cussing church where the preacher cusses in between. You'd feel more, now that's real. No, it's not real. It's just your DNA feels at home in dark places. 
That's all. Your DNA just feels at home. You, some of you are happier in a bar than you are in church. You don't feel comfortable in here. You're all tight and nervous. Because and... you, you're guilty. Because of all the stuff you've been doing. And you know this is church. And people are supposed to like not do bad things. And you know that God for sure doesn't do it. I mean, maybe his children do, but, but he doesn't. And he could be in the room. That makes you feel uncomfortable. But if you're over at the honky-tonk, well, that's a whole different deal. You can relax. Everybody's like you. See what I'm saying? So if your DNA doesn't change, then all you're going to do is dress up your sin with religious clothes. So you're really going to be a wicked person that looks like a really cool Christian. But all you're really going to do is just learn the language and the behavior gestures of overcomers without being an overcomer. So I don't judge people for anything because I've committed all sins pretty much, except a few. My grandmother at six years old taught me a lesson. I worked for her beginning at six, washing dishes in a restaurant, and she had a tortilla roller. When somebody would cause trouble, she'd tap them and then hit them with a tortilla roller. On one Saturday night, I was washing dishes, and I heard the, one of the waitresses scream. And then my grandmother looked out, and she started cussing and grabbed her tortilla roller and walked out there and said, follow me. And so, you know, I'm just following. I knew this was some action that was going to happen because my grandmother was like a mafia don. And it was a big large man, I'd say over six feet tall probably, and a drunk, and grabbing the waitress, you know. And so she tapped him, and he turned around, and boom, she hit him right right across there. Just even the way she did it, just the, the, weight, the, the weight distribution, I mean, she just snapped. She was powerful. And then she straddled him. He's out. And she, she said, get a little closer. And then she started beating him. Blood shoots on my shoes. She says, if you ever hit a woman or take a drink of liquor, this is what I'm going to do to you. There are two sins I did not commit while a sinner. Only two. <laughs> if she hadn't made the list longer, I would have been like a saint as a sinner. You know what I'm saying? I mean. <laughs> One day in high school, I, my girlfriend and I were having a fight. And it's the hallways and everything. And she was rather violent and everything. And so... She didn't like, I looked at someone or did something, you know. She turned around and just bam, 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 started hitting me. And I'm just standing there. And I didn't do a thing because all I could think about. When I got home, I mean, I'm all beat up and everything, scratches, everything. 
She says, what happened to you? I said, well, my girlfriend, Grandma, she hit me. She stepped back. Her eyes changed. <laughs> what did you do? I just took it. She said, you didn't hit her back? And she put her arms around me, kissed all over my face, took care of me, made me some, some uh, uh, fajitas with some... Gave me a little massage. Said, did that hurt? Yeah. You didn't hit her? I said, no, no, I would never hit her, Grandma, remember? You knocked out that man, knocked out his teeth, knocked out the whole thing. You said, that's what you're going to do to me. I ain't going to hit no woman. <laughs> Offered liquor pretty much my whole life since about four years old. It's not even a temptation. Ever. My friends are all drunk. Say, why are you drinking with us? I said, because I got a grandmother. <laughs> I mean, that man's lips exploded. His eyes swolled shut. Maybe a few teeth came out. I don't know. It was bad. But her, her seven brothers were all policemen, including the chief of police. And so she, they would come over. And she would tell him whatever she wanted to tell him. They were disturbing the peace take. She never got in trouble. Everybody else got thrown in jail. Look at somebody and say, Ooh, I need some serious prayer. Praying in the Holy Ghost is the most powerful type of prayer. Because praying in the Holy Ghost does over 100 beneficial things. Praying in the Holy Ghost is when you have a prayer language. Regal, mascutruje, mente ferixe, a prayer language. You see, I pray. And um, contrary to popular belief, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, there are no demons involved because it's something Jesus does and he told everybody to receive it. So Satan's job then is to demonize the gifts God wants you to have. That's his job. He has to make you afraid of what you need so you will avoid it. I'm just telling you from my testimony of being now a preacher for almost 50 years that I pray in the Holy Ghost every day all day, constantly, in between conversations, when I'm alone, when I'm with people. Sometimes when I'm talking to you, I'm praying in the Holy Ghost in my head because of the benefits. It's God's superfood. It will build you up and encourage you and keep your conscience tuned. Keep your intuition and perception very sharp. And get your communion level so high that you're actually communing with God all day. And have an unbroken conversation of love going on between you and Jesus. Everybody look at somebody and say, really, I need to pray. If you're not experiencing this, I say this, please don't be offended. Honestly, you don't know how to pray. Three. Found in Malachi 3.3. You can read it as it goes up there. And this is purging. Correction is not rejection. 
Anything that God wants to make stronger in your life, he has to prune something that is around that thing that is sucking the life out of that thing. Like the vine dresser prunes the vines and leaves one and takes off ten because they're taking life from the one strong one. And so he prunes it all and takes away so that one will become very powerful and strong and the root system will become very powerful and strong. If you're going to be an overcomer, you have got to be open for correction 24 hours around the clock and you have to be able to get corrected by your wife Your husband, your children, your parents, friends, and enemies. Every person you meet is a library of knowledge. And you will learn from the people you meet what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Everyone is your teacher, and this is the attitude you must have if you're going to be an overcomer. When you spend time with a person in a loving way, analyze everything about that and say, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Check, check, check. I do want to be like that. I do want to be like that. And you're learning. You're learning. How did they get there? I don't want to go that way. How did they get there? I want to go that way. This is the, this is the attitude of an overcomer. They're humble to the point of ridiculous teachability. They don't argue when somebody corrects them, even if the correction is not true. They just say, oh, praise God. Well, let me pray about it. I don't see it. It could be a blind spot in my life. I'll go take it to prayer. And then you go take it to prayer. And Jesus says, no, they were just accusing you. You're actually not like that. Oh, okay, praise God, praise God. But you're open for improvement when you're open to purging and correction. Proverbs 12, 1 says, only a stupid man refuses to be corrected. He will be corrected and reject it and then suddenly and without warning be broken. Praise the Lord. Look at two or three people around you and say, I have nothing negative to say. I only want you to have the very best. So give me a hundred dollars. And begin your sowing life. Four. Proverbs 16, 7. Pleasing. Pleasing God. This is the secret of overcomers. When you're faced with a temptation of some sort or a situation and you stop and say, Lord, I know what I want, but does what I want line up with what you want? Is this going to please you, what I'm about to say or do? Because if your answer is no, then you have to stop yourself from doing it. Dear Father, I feel an anointing of cussing coming on towards this person. May I say these words? I'll use light level cussing. Only the H word, maybe one or two of the D words, but that's about it. You can have these conversations. 
because you have to be honest with God. You can't have a pretend relationship like the only thing you tell God is all the things you know he wants to hear when it's not even who you are. No, you start real with God. You say, God, I'd like to have an affair with about four women in church and I need help. That's where you start. God, I would like to kill three people in that building and run over them with my car. These are the ugly impulses of my flesh. Or God, I'd like to be out of town when they get run over. But make no mistake, Father, they need to get run over. These are conversations of maturity because you have to start at your dwelling place. And from your dwelling place, you are transferred into new places of glory and growth and victory. Now, some of you are too religious to do what I said. You simply can't do it. You have edited yourself to such a point that your conversation with God is very ritualistic and very specific. As a matter of fact, you don't feel safe with spontaneous praying. You'd rather just read something. Because you're too scared to actually talk to God on your own. Because that's how low your self-esteem is. And you don't really know that God loves you as his daughter. And that you're the apple of his eye. And that there's no one alive on earth that he loves more than you. You actually don't really know that. Or maybe you were raised by a very strict, unloving, non-affectionate, parent and it made you cold-blooded so you don't want to do that you want to please 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 say lord i know i'm saying all these things but you know me well enough that i'm not actually going to do them but i do have the urges and the impulses and I kind of would like to get to where I don't have these anymore. They're really distracting. I want to get to a point where I'm not provoked. Where I'm not offended. Where I can just love these people and do, be of a benefit to them. Because right now, they're too strong for me. I can't overcome their lousy personality. <laughs> So I need grace. I need your grace. Pour your grace into my spirit so that I don't go around judging everybody in a way that tells them I'm better than you because I do these three things that you don't do. Now you're just a religious Pharisee. And if God opened your brain and put it on the screen, you would be the ugliest person in the room. Pleasing God. Pleasing God is a very powerful thing. It guarantees your harvest. Look at someone and say, it guarantees your harvest. Pleasing God. Ask yourself, how many things are you doing right now that please God? Better yet, how many things are you doing that you know? You don't even have to pray about it. You know they don't please God. Because you're not going to overcome by disobeying God. You're only going to overcome if you obey him. Praise the Lord. 
Remember that all sin is musical. Just like all righteousness is musical. What does that mean? Sin creates rhythms in your DNA. A pornographer, for example, feels very awkward and anxious if he is not tuned into pornography at a rhythmic time, like once a day, once every two days, once every three. It's like being an addict. He has to have his hit or her, she has to have her hit of that disease in order to calm down. Because that is methodically and mathematically training your biology. The chemicals of your body are being tuned to the sins of your flesh or to the blessings and anointings of the Holy Spirit, depending on what you decide to be addicted to. Look at somebody and say, I don't know about you, but I'm going to please God. Tell the person behind you, please the Lord and everything will be okay. Tell your neighbor, please the Lord. Everything will be okay. Ladies, put your hand on your husband's chest and let's sing our song. Give me some money, honey, honey. Give me some dough. Clap your hand. Give me some money, honey, honey. Give me some dough. Give me some money, honey, honey. Give me some dough. Whoa, 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 whoa. Give me some money, honey, honey. Give me some dough. The last verse. Send me to Hawaii, honey. Hallelujah. Send me to Hawaii, honey. Hallelujah. Send me to Hawaii, honey. You don't have to go. Send me to Hawaii, honey. Hallelujah. to Hawaii, honey, hallelujah. Send me to Hawaii, honey, hallelujah. Send me on a vacation for four or five weeks, hallelujah. Oh, glory to the Lamb, amen. Number five, 1 Thessalonians 4.1. And this weapon or secret is pleasure. You have to learn how to convert pleasure. You have to learn how to convert it from bad pleasure to divine pleasure. Every pleasure that you feed becomes a parasite. And every pleasure that you overfeed turns into a giant. And the giant will eventually turn on you and eat you. So you will self-destruct through self-cannibalism. Pleasure that is not of God is the mouth of Satan asking to be fed. So whenever you have a pleasure, let's say a carnal pleasure of some sort, having sex with somebody that you're not married to, 
pornography, you know, these, the sexual side, those kind of things. When you feed those things, you're, you're building your own cannibal. So you've got to convert it. You've got to flip it by repenting, throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus and saying, I don't have the strength to overcome this. This is where we start. I can't do it or I would have already done it. So I'm going to need your help, God. I need Jesus to help me. That's what you need to say to him. Lord, I need you to help me. I'm weak. And then you have to be so ruthlessly honest in the most ugly way. You have to say, I like this. I like it. And I wish you could legalize this sin. Because I really like it. And I want to keep doing it. That's where you begin. Because you start from your dwelling place. And then you say, but I know, Lord, that this is of the flesh and of the devil. And it's not going to lead me to anything good. So I am asking you to put a flame of fire inside my heart so that it burns the stinking, smelly flesh out of me. And you circumcise my heart so that I can love you with all my mind and with all my strength and with all my heart and with all my being and so that you can live and move and have your being inside of me. That's where you have to begin. And then you adopt divine pleasure. You say, God, what is a divine pleasure? Worship is a divine pleasure when you do it right. Praise the Lord. Reading the Bible when the Bible is unlocked and is alive is a divine pleasure. It, it, it will give you something nothing else gives you. There's nothing more comforting than the Word of God in your life. And the more of the Word of God you're in, the more comforted you are. Psalm 94, 19. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your Word brings me sweet comfort and consolation. Praise the Lord. There's some things that nothing will comfort you about except the word of God. Praise the Lord. For every negative pleasure, there is a positive pleasure. I have identified 52 divine pleasures. Do you know that there is a high level of pleasure in talking to a stranger at a grocery store and leading them to Jesus, getting them and their children all baptized in the Holy Ghost and handing them $700 to buy groceries that brings pleasure like nothing else. Way more pleasure than the, the, the raunchy, kinky desires of the flesh. Praise the Lord. So you need to convert your pleasures into divine pleasure because pleasure leads to a destination. Praise the Lord. Look at seven people and say, this is more than I can handle. <laughs> Number six, James 4, 7, is practice. If you're going to be an overcomer, practice resisting the devil. Practice rebuking the devil. Practice prophesying the will of God into your home and family, marriage, and children. Practice obeying God when you don't want to. Practice loving people you do not like. Practice doing acts of kindness for people who are talking bad about you. 
Send blessings to people you know are lying about you all over town and write them a check and send them some money. When they know they're cursing you, you be a blesser. Practice the nature of Jesus and the personality of Jesus and practice changes reality. Let's say you and I uh, start to learn the guitar on the same day. And you're going to be self-taught. And you're going to practice for two hours every day for one year. After that year, we're going to come together and see who can do, who plays better. Praise the Lord. However, I am going to hire a professional teacher who plays the guitar in the style I like. And I'm going to pay him whatever I got to pay him. And I'm going to practice for five hours every day. Well, at the end of a year, the person that practices for two hours on his own can impress people and play pretty good. But me, with five hours of, of divine practice, which means practice with knowledge, five hours of that, I'm going to be able to earn a living with what I have done. Because my practice has changed my reality. Right now, you are practicing your future. If you're doing nothing, you have a nothing future. If you're doing bad things, you have a bad future. And if you're practicing good things, then good things are ahead for you. You cannot change that reality with hopeful thinking. Practice changes reality. Praise the Lord. The next thing, next to the last, is passion, Psalm 22, 4. What is a man or a woman worth who has no passion? Passion changes momentum. If you want to change your momentum, get radically passionate about something. In reality, and all your life, and your destiny, and your harvest, and everything will change because it is very powerful to be righteously passionate about the things of God. No casual followers, no distant observers. Just radical, intimate disciples. That's the only kind that God can truly, truly use. Praise God. And then finally, partners. Ecclesiastes 4.7. If you're going to overcome, you need to find your spiritual partners that are going to be there for you. If you're women, you need to find women. If you're a man, you need to find men who have already walked the walk, who have lived through what you need to live through, who have already got the victory, who have overcome already, and who have overcome for 10, 15, 20, 30, or 40 years. They are not practicing anymore. They have absorbed and it has become a part of their nature. You need accountability, so you need partners. You women, if you're a little crazy about something, you need to find a woman that was crazy. See, I hear you were crazy like I am. Yeah, yeah, I was crazy. I was just crazy like you. Yeah. I heard you threw things, broke things, drove the car through the house. Yeah, yeah, that was me. Well, I need help. I, I just did that yesterday. 
Okay, well, let's work on it. It's going to take a little time. No condemnation, no putting people down, no condemning people, no telling people they're terrible, no telling people go to another church. No, 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 no. God's house is a house for sinners who are on their way to sainthood. But make no mistakes, brothers and sisters, we are all sinners. And sometimes we like some of our sins so much that it takes 20 or 30 or 40 years to get rid of some of them. Some of them you get rid of just like that because when you commit them, they make you feel terrible and bad. But it's the sins you love that hang on the longest. I mean, drinking beer after beer and singing and dancing. <laughs> that's hard to get rid of for a man that's been doing it for 20 or 30 years. And it's the only peace he finds in his life. Or a woman on prescription drugs. You can't condemn those people. Excommunicate them. They have troubles. They have issues. They need partners. They need, listen, I'm going to walk with you through this, however long it takes, five years, one year, 10 years, 20 years, but you will be free from this monster. Partners that say, I'm with you, live or die, good or bad, right or wrong, I'm with you to the end. If people knew they had someone like that, someone they could talk to and said, yeah, kind of got high last night. I had a headache and the reefer was there. What can I say? So what do you do, oh holy one? Well, that's it. I'm not going to have anything to do with you because you won't change. No, how about, listen, I'll stay with you all the way to the grave. If you die with a reefer in your mouth, I'll be there with you. Because you do have free will. You can point people to freedom, but you cannot make them eat it. But you can love them to the very end. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.